0: all right we 're going to uh, keep going in our foundation 's book here uh, as we we do the study of the Holy Spirit, as we mentioned last week that that title is called pneumatology in case you 're ever reading and you 're wondering what is this word that I keep coming across that just means the study of the Holy Spirit and as we as we look at that last week. Uh, we cover a number a number of different concepts, uh, the theological truths about the Holy Spirit, that it, the Holy Spirit, he is the third person of the Trinity, that he is equal with God and Jesus, and yet they are distinct. It's not one person wearing different hats. They're, they're three distinct uh, individuals. And the Holy Spirit is the, they talked about the silent partner in the book. Uh, the Holy Spirit seeks to glorify Christ and not himself. He's bringing glory to uh, to Jesus Christ, and we we talked about that. That's such a good uh, pattern for us to be following in our lives. And so, the Holy Spirit was also involved in creation. We started to talk about the works of the Spirit. Of the Spirit, what is what is the Spirit doing? So, the Holy Spirit works in creation. Then, the Holy Spirit is going to work with believers. And we talked about the the fact that the Holy Spirit suppresses, restraining is restraining sin. Uh, in that passage, where he the about the letting uh, or the restraining of sin as we kept going, we talked more about the Holy Spirit convicting us, and it shows, uh, shows humanity their need of righteousness. So the Holy Spirit is involved, even in unbelievers' lives, as we're presenting the Word of God, as we're talking with individuals, and we're presenting that to them, the Holy Spirit is using the Word, and the Holy Spirit is convicting, showing our need of righteousness. Uh, And then in the process, we talked about the Holy Spirit is the one who cleanses us. He's a part of the regeneration process. And then we, uh, as we were wrapping up, the Holy Spirit immerses um, or baptizes the believers into the body of Christ at that moment of salvation. And then as we were wrapping up, we were talking about the sealing of the Spirit, that the the Holy Spirit seals or secures us uh, until that day of redemption. Now, when we were going through and I was talking and I used the phrase once or twice, and also when you look in your book, like um, we were finished up on page 145 uh, and into 146, uh, right in there, you'll see that every once in a while it talks about the principle, okay? The, and it'll give the principle that they're teaching for that section. And there's a word that, that's used, and I understand why it's used, and yet we want to make sure that we're careful and how we use it is the word experience. It's vital to explain to the people that you're discipling as you're going through that the term experience, it, it can be potentially confusing because sometimes you'll hear when people share about when they got saved, like, oh, I had this flood of emotions or I felt really warm. or I, you know, and, and some people have the, these, uh, when they got saved, they'll have a, a feeling or an experience. But for, for many, when I got saved... I, I didn't feel that personally, you know, and I know others didn't. So people have a tendency, especially in our society, to want to feel something. And so just be careful, that because what, what they're talking about, the author is basically talking about this is something that happened to you, okay? It's not necessarily felt. When, I, when, I, when you got saved and you were baptized by the Spirit and you were sealed by the Spirit, we as believers, we experienced that. That happened to us. We just didn't necessarily feel that. So just be careful when you're talking with an individual. They might be like, well, I didn't feel anything. Just be aware that as you're talking, you may want to clarify a little bit about what is meant by the word experience. Because it'll come up nearly in every principle that's, that's on here. So let's pick up where we left off on page 147. Again, if you're using the notes, the, the handout notes, the numbers may be d- different. Okay, so it might not be the same, but we're going to pick up right with the indwelling of the Spirit. So the indwelling of the Spirit, again, begins at salvation. So, and and that makes sense that many of these things start at salvation because what happens when I get saved? The the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within me. It means, uh, its meaning is simple. He dwells within us and God is omnipresent. He's everywhere, but he lives within us in a unique and physical sense. That now, when I become a believer, when I became a believer, the Holy Spirit took up residence within me, within you, and now we have Him with, within us. Now, when they talk about, it, and what they do, and I, I like what the, the book does, is it talks about the dwelling place of God. Like, where has God dwelled in the, in the scriptures? And we know that there were two basic places initially in the Old Testament the tabernacle, which uh, is the, t- from the time of Moses to, to Solomon, when Solomon builds the temple. Now, the tabernacle was more of a temporary dwelling place. Even David, as he wants to build the temple, he wants a, a house for God. And God says, okay, you're not going to be the one, but then Solomon's going to come, come along, and he's going to build the temple. And from that point on, then, in the Old Testament— even after Solomon's temple's torn down, and we, we go through that, the picture is that it is the more permanent dwelling place for God in the Old Testament. So as we look at the dwelling place of God, yes, that happened in the Old Testament, but what about now? We don't have a temple, we don't have a tabernacle, or do we? And it's interesting how the New Testament writers will often pick up on those terms, the the tabernacle or the temple of God, as we'll, we'll talk about here. And Really, for God to dwell in any specific location was special. Israel found great comfort knowing that God was at the tabernacle, that God was at the temple, that God, when they were going through the wilderness, they were following God, that God's presence was there. How, how special then to know that God has taken up residence within us, that the Spirit now is dwelling in our hearts and in our lives, so the Old Testament had these signs that they, they, they talked about this in order to prove that his people to, to his people that God is there, we can say God is here, but Israel's wondering how do we know this? How do we see that? God performed these special um, miraculous signs uh, at both the tabernacle and the temple, and those, those signs you see them in Exodus chapter forty and in First Kings chapter eight. In Exodus 40, you notice it says, then the cloud covered the tent of the congregation. And when the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, but if the cloud was not taken up, then they wouldn't move. If the cloud was present, then they would stay. So they would see the coming and the going of, of the cloud uh, and the fire by night. And they would understand, okay, God is moving, God is present. And so God used these pictures of the cloud, the fire uh, there, to tell them that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, for the glory of the Lord has filled the house of the Lord. It was God's presence in their midst. So they, they understood that. They saw those, those pictures. And so these signs that are used here the cloud, the fire, they, even the, the perspectives of the covering and the, the filling of everything, that there's something that that when we get to the New Testament, we're able to look back a little bit and say, oh, there's some unique similarities here to, to what happens at Pentecost. And that's where they, they draw this, this parallel in the book. And it's, it's neat because it allows you that opportunity to go back, to talk with the person you're discipling, to encourage them about the things of the Old Testament, to teach them. I mean, you could very well, if you're, you're discipling a new believer and all of a sudden they're like, wait, 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 what, what's this tabernacle and what's this moving? You might have to sit and you might spend a little bit of time to, to teach them. And to go back over, how did God, you know, work with, the, with Israel and teach them the stories about wandering in the wilderness? What a great opportunity. What a fun time. Of course, I'm a little biased. You guys know I like numbers. So it's, it's, a good, it's a good study. But to go through and to be able to teach a new believer, wow, look at what God did for these people. Look how he provided for them. Look how he was with them through all of these difficulties. And it, it just gives you those opportunities. Because remember, and I'll, I'll say it again later, when you're going through this, we don't we're not teaching curriculum, we're teaching people. And so if the person you're discipling has questions about a verse, spend time doing that. And if all you, if, if all you did in this, in this Bible study, let's say you sat down and you were starting the indwelling of the Spirit, and they started asking you questions about this Exodus passage, and can we read more about that? You don't want to look and go. No, I've got to get this accomplished because I have three pages that I must cover today. Otherwise, we're not. no. We teach the people. We don't teach the curriculum. Yes, we want to teach curriculum and get through it. But if your disciple, your person who's, who you're doing the Bible study with, has questions like that, enjoy that time. That's special. That's sweet, and, and go through it. Now, in the New Testament, what it, what happens then? On the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church. That's when the the church was. Founded, started, God began dwelling with His people. Okay, He would come and go in the in the Old Testament. He would be there, and then He would go, and He would leave, and they would follow. Now He's going to come, and He's going to dwell, which again is going to demonstrate, uh, be demonstrated by signs. Something that happened at Pentecost, and it's really important for us to remember that Pentecost happened. It doesn't keep happening, okay? We don't have to, like, when am I going to have the the anointing of the Holy Spirit come upon me and when's my fire and tongues, all that gonna happen? Pentecost happened. It was a special, unique thing that occurred that God did. God was coming and God came and dwelt into the believers. Look, Look at what it says here. It says, on the day of Pentecost, when it was fully come, they were all with one accord and suddenly... Notice some of the similarities. And, and as you're going through with your, with your uh, believers, you're looking and saying, wow, there were some similarities of what happened here. There, there was a mighty wind and it filled the house. Again, there was a filling that happened there. And then there was fire and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. Just like the temple was filled with God's glory. Just like the tabernacle, the gates were so filled that Moses couldn't go into the presence of it that there was a cloud, that there was fire. Now all of a sudden at Pentecost, God gives a little glimpse and a little direction very similar to what happened. But what happens this time is it's not a room that's filled or it's not a building that's filled. It's the people that were filled. Now there's something different. Why is that? Because as we go through the study and we've already covered it in some of the other chapters too, we are the what of God. God. We're the temple of God. So just like this beautiful picture in parallel of what happened in the Old Testament where where God comes and fills the temple, what happened here is God comes and fills his temples. Now at Pentecost, and from from that point on, we are now in a situation where as believers, we are indwelt when we get saved at, at salvation. There is that that happens. So there's the noise, there's the rushing of wind, some of the tongues of fire distributed among them, they were filled. Some of those, some of those similarities that, that go through uh, the passage, you can talk with, the, with your believer about that as you're looking through and saying, okay, this is, this is important for us to, to cover and to understand. But why is it such a big deal? And that may be a question, that's not in the book, but you could easily throw that out to your friend and say, so why do you think this is a big deal? Why, why is this moment such, such a big moment? And I, I want to go on a rabbit trail for a second. And it's, it's a passage that personally I wish was in the, the study on the Holy Spirit, but it's, it's not. Um, and again, remember, the book is not intended to cover the entire doctrine of the Holy Spirit. But this is one that you should probably write in somewhere. This passage, John chapter 16, is important to understand Christ's purpose for the Holy Spirit— as Christ was talking about this one who was going to come, in fact, let's, let's go over there because I don't have it on the screen. John chapter 16. And we've, pastors preached through this, past, this passage a number of times, and we're not going to take time to, to dwell very long on it. But think about this in relationship to what was happening at Pentecost. These believers, Jesus Christ has died, he was buried, rose again, and now all of a sudden, Acts 1 happens, and where's Jesus at? Where's he go? He ascends into heaven, right. And so now they're waiting. They're, they're together in the upper room, and they're looking and, and they're, they're wondering and trying to figure out, okay, what, what next? Because if you remember in John chapter 16, look down in verse 6. As Jesus is, he's talking about you're going to have persecutions. They're going to come against you. There's going to be these struggles. But because I have said these things unto you, you sorrow has filled your heart. They're experiencing some of the, the hardships, and yet at the same time, now Christ has ascended, and they remember some of these things. But he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you, it's necessary for you, that I go away. For if I go not away the comforter will not come unto you, but if I depart, I will send him to you. The comforter is another name for the Holy Spirit. Down in verse 13, how be it when he, the spirit of truth, is come, what is he going to do? He's going to guide you in all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he hath, uh, shall hear, that shall he speak, and will show you things to come." He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and he shall show it to you. And all things that the Father has are mine, therefore said I, that he shall take of mine, and he's going to show it to you. Christ looks and says, this one is going to come, and he's going to teach you more things of me, and more things of my Father, and he's going to help direct and to guide and to lead you. Well, now as they remember these teachings they're sitting at Pentecost, Jesus Christ is ascended, and they're sitting there like, well, when is this one going to come? How long will it be? You know, those, those are questions that may pop into their head. So Christ promised in this, in this passage to send someone else. The comforter is a spirit, uh, is a person and a spirit. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is seeking and going to teach and to guide these believers. But Acts 2, this has not happened. And so I like, I, personally, for me, that's a, this is a good spot to stick in talking about John 16. Think of these questions. If I'm a disciple, if I'm one of the apostles sitting in the upper room around Pentecost, when is this going to happen? Will God keep his word? Well, he said he's going to send someone else. Who will this person be? How will we know him? Or, you know, how, how, how are we going to be well aware of all of this happening? And then all of a sudden, a great rushing wind rushes into your room, fired, fired cloven tongues of fire sitting upon you. You start speaking, and it's like, wait a second, something special just happened. So there's this this beautiful interplay between what's happening in the Old Testament, what Jesus Christ has said, and now what happened at Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and dwells these believers, and you can look. Now, in the Old Testament, still, there's some differences that, that occurred. And as we go through the book and some of the questions that are brought up, what, what was the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament uh, typically came upon leaders to enable them for specific ministries or specific jobs? We see that in Judges chapter six, where you have Gideon being a judge and the Spirit comes upon him. You can also go to uh, chapter 13 and verse 25 to, to see that. The judge was, remember, uh, and this is just important to to make that side note for the person you 're talking don 't think judge like we have gavel coming down. the judge was a deliverer of the people they were they were under oppression they were under the Midianites in the case with with uh, Gideon or with Samson they were under you know, philistine oppression they were the judges were a deliverer of the people somebody sent with a with a mission. I hate to say a mission from God, it just, it, but that's the idea. That's what they were, they were going to do this. And they come out and they're the deliverer. So just as a side note to remind individuals, do you remember in 1 Samuel 16, uh, Pastor just, just covered this weeks ago, the king was anointed by the Holy Spirit. Now in 1 Samuel 16, who is, who is going to be anointed by Samuel at this point? Do you remember in six, chapter 16? it's right before david and goliath so who gets anointed right before that david yeah david david is going to be anointed as king and so samuel goes he anoints david and there the spirit comes upon him okay so it's important to remember it wasn't he didn't have that before he now has that when when he was anointed by samuel because the spirit is coming upon him for a specific task of ministry a a plan that God has for them. And do you remember, so David's anointed to be king, but in verse 14, right after that, Saul, what happens with the Spirit upon Saul? It departs. So the Holy Spirit did not, it was not a permanent indwelling of the Old Testament believers. It was different for them than it is for us. We have this permanent indwelling of the Spirit, that we can be blessed and enjoy that, uh, that precious gift of God to have in our lives. But the Old Testament saints did not have that same uh, relationship dynamic with the Spirit. The Spirit would come, the Spirit would go. You could lose the anointing and the power of the Spirit for them. In fact, remember what David says? Psalm 51, after his sin with Bathsheba, he looks and he's praying out to God and this is his prayer to God and his confession to God. And he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, some people will look at this verse and say, see, we can lose the Holy Spirit. We can lose our salvation and the power of the Spirit. We can lose that. It's not what David, David is saying that, but you have to put it in its context. Old Testament believers, he does not want to lose the anointing of God. He does not want to lose the ministry that God has set him to. And so he's asking God to not take that away from him and he's confessing uh, that to God. So he's praying that he would not lose the Lord's empowering ministry, which could be lost, but in dwelling that we are talking about for us as New Testament believers, that cannot be lost. It is we are healed until that day of redemption. The Holy Spirit is with us all the time. It, it is present. So David even says, um, or not David, but in First Chronicles, there's other times. It's just one or two people, but the Holy Spirit would come with different, to different individuals. You have David's captain for military endeavors, the chief of his captain, uh, Amasai. He was anointed, he was uh, indwelt by the Spirit uh, temporarily for, for jobs, for that, the prophets, when they would speak uh, Ezekiel talks about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit coming upon me when I, when I spake, that the Holy Spirit was there. So we know that the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament did come and go, and it was for specific reasons. But in the New Testament, as we talk about the indwelling of the Spirit, that is permanent for us. Look at what happens. In, in the Acts, chap, Acts 2 passage, when Peter stands up right after at the, his message on Pentecost, and he's preaching, he's going to quote from Joel. And as he quotes from Joel chapter two, it's gonna say this, and this is out of uh, Joel. It says, and it shall come to pass afterwards that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon my servants, the servants and upon the handmaids in those days, will I pour out my spirit. There's a whole bunch to unpack there. And there's a whole bunch that we could go on lots of different tangents and talk about. But notice notice who this is upon. What kind of people did God promise His Spirit? Just when you're going through, look at, look at some of the simple things. He said, it's on all these different types of people. It shall come to pass, I will pour my Spirit on all flesh. It wasn't just the select few. Regardless of their position, their gender, their age, their race, that you have, you have people, you have handmaids, you have those who are working, you have the old men, young men, you have uh, daughters, you have, so you have every gender, all these different. There's not a select uh, specific type of group that is going to only receive the Spirit. And Joel is prophesying and saying, this is going to come. Peter stands up under the inspiration of of the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And he says, guess what? This just happened. He says, now at Pentecost, the Spirit has been poured out upon flesh, upon all flesh, that there are different people. And so now from Pentecost on, we have, as a believer, when we get saved, when we got saved, the Holy Spirit takes up permanent residence within us. So God does not live, dwell in a building. Yes, God is everywhere but it's no longer like the Old Testament, a temple or a tabernacle. It's no longer like the Old Testament where it's, it's come and go, come and go. Now, as we get to, from Pentecost on, from Acts chapter two in your Bibles on, we have a permanent residency of God, not in a building, but now within us. That God dwells, and again, anywhere God dwells, that's a special thing that is special, that is precious to us. So God, and Paul picks up on this. What what does he call us? He calls us the temple of God. He reminds us of that, that as the temple of God, that's significant. But what is the significance of being called the temple of God? What do you think? Why is that special? Is it special? Is it? Done. It's, it's where his spirit, I know it's not, it seems like a, a pretty easy question to answer, but it's the residence of God. God, God resides in us. So where we go, I mean, we always know God is everywhere, but where we go, God goes with us. What, what we do, we take God to do with us. He's present. Okay. It's a more, and it's more permanent than just a tabernacle, isn't it? Remember the tabernacle if you think back to when we were talking earlier the tabernacle was a temporary dwelling place it was it was not the permanent temple was more permanent now paul picks up on that and says hey this is, this is permanent this is god is here he is dwelling and living living within us will the holy spirit then ever leave a christian some people teach that the holy spirit lives only in those who are actively obeying christ and that they will that he leaves those who sin but remember what he says, what Paul says to the Corinthians. Okay? In chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, he says, And brethren, I could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as carnal. What's the word carnal mean? Fleshly. But what does he call them? What's the third word in that verse? Brethren. Brethren, are, it's a term used by Paul for believers. Yeah. So he's looking and saying, these believers, they are living fleshly. And then what he does later on in the chapter, he calls them the temple of God. So th- there is a permanent dwelling, even in carnal fleshly believers. The Holy Spirit doesn't look, okay, you sin, so uh, I'm leaving you hands off. See you later. He's going to do other things when we start living that way, He's going to start doing other things that we'll, we'll pick up on. He's going to convict us of sin. He's going to chase us. Uh, he's going to be working in our lives to, to push us toward righteousness. But they were carnal. They were immature. There was little to no spiritual growth that was, that was present here. They weren't being obedient. Yet these believers still had the presence of God within them. So we we need to make sure that as we talk with our new believers, that's a question. You can go back to the eternal security passages in the book and to to look through and to help them understand. We don't want to take that as a a stamp to say, go do whatever you want. Sin, however, no big deal because God's just going to be there with you. But we want to look and say, wait, if you do sin, let's confess the sin. Let's deal with the sin rather than hiding it and just just living because God is still there this verse describes those who are living in disobedience to God. And that's important for us to remind those individuals as we're we're talking through. So what are the implications of that? That God lives in all Christians, even those who are disobeying him. Okay. Now, again, we're not advocating and and we shouldn't advocate. That's where Paul says in Romans chapter six, should we continue in sin that God's grace may abound? He says, God forbid, may it never be. But even in, even in disobedient Christians, God is still living within them. The indwelling of the Spirit, then, is permanent and it is not dependent upon godly living. That's important to understand. The indwelling of the Spirit is not dependent upon me being godly. When we get to the filling of the Spirit, that's a totally different that's a totally different concept we're going to talk about. That's going to be dependent upon my, my, my working according to God's word. The indwelling of the, the Holy Spirit should motivate us to live godly because I'm taking my holy, righteous God with me to, to practice my sin in the corners of the, the house and the, you know, the highways where I'm going around. like I'm taking God with me and he's present there. So it should motivate us to say, hey, God is with us. Let's live righteously because he's there. He's, he's aware. We should, seek to, uh, we should neither seek nor endeavor to keep the Spirit's presence. Don't look and say, how do I keep God with me? How do I keep God with me? By faith, accept the truth, the fact, that God is with you, that he is present. You cannot lose that. If you do not have the Spirit, then you don't belong to Christ. Romans 8. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, then he is none of his. So if, you, if you're losing the Spirit, you're not a believer. It's not, it's not a possibility. But he looks and says, hey, if I have the Spirit, then I am one of Christ's. And when I'm saved, I have the Spirit, so I'm one of, one of Christ. The principle, the sealing. Now, this is a, you want to note in your books, uh, verse, uh, page 149. Uh, this, is, uh, this is 149. It's right at 150. The top of 150. You want to? Uh, the, there's an editorial comment there, or editorial thing that needs to be adjusted. And I, I I talked to the pastor who has this, and he's like, Oh, we didn't catch that one. The principle, it should it shouldn't say the ceiling. It should say the indwelling of the spirit. So you just want to make that. It was just a typo that they missed. When they, were, when they were going through. Page 147 already has the indwelling, or the sealing. So this one, just cross that off, and it's the indwelling. Is experience permanently? Again, again there's that word experience, but it's in there. We understand. It's something that occurs to us permanently by every believer at that moment of salvation. So that's, that's the, in, in general, the indwelling of the Spirit. Now, there's a, there's a section right here that goes on at the bottom of page 149, um, where it talks about getting down to brass tacks. And I would just, I'd caution you in, in a little bit. When you read through it, we, we agree with, you know, as, as I look through it, it's, it's very, very practical, very good. It's, it's, the, it's the pastor who wrote this, it's his application of this idea of the concept of how does Uh, the indwelling of the Spirit impact us. How does it, you know, because practically doctrine should impact us practically. So the fact that God's Spirit dwells in you should greatly affect your daily living. Agree. Wonderful. Great. Okay. He talks about the idea, the concept of treating our temple with dignity, with respect. Yes. That's, That's the principle he's driving at. But what can happen sometimes, and I think it's wise for us too, we can we can have our pet applications, can we not? We can we we can have things that maybe we've wrestled with in the past, and that becomes a very important thing for me. And I can quickly make that to thus saith the Lord. Or I can quickly say, you know, to the person I'm discipling, you need to do this because that's what I do. And we we can be we can sometimes jump that way that's it's happened i mean it used to be you had to you know it was always the principle of modesty and appropriateness and then all of a sudden it was like well you have to have culottes that you know ladies have them down to the bottom of their knee and then it has to be the and it, it can become a standard that sometimes isn't isn't biblically laid out there's there's a statement in here that okay i'm okay with some of it but look at the he talks about um, Alcohol, tobacco, tattoos, laziness, obesity, dishonor your body, which is God's temple. I understand what he's driving at, but are there situations of obesity, for, for example, that it's not because of sin, it's not because of a lack of self-control, but maybe it's a medical condition or it's, it's you know, medications that somebody's on. And I don't think you can just instantly jump and equate that obesity to, do I think the principle of self-control and indulging fleshly appetites Absolutely. You know, do I, do I battle with that one? Yeah. I, I hate the fact that I battle with that one because it's something that you always see. You know whether or not, oh yeah, he's, okay, he's back on his, he's back on living healthy a little bit. He's getting skinnier. And then you look, and go, yep, there he goes again. And you can keep praying for me because I'm always battling with that one, trust me. Self-control is a struggle, especially when it comes to indulging my fleshly appetite of food. Uh, but do you, do you understand, what, like when you look at that, I understand where he's going, but a new believer who reads that all of a sudden, I mean, let's say, let's say I lead someone to, to Christ who is really battling with, with weight. And then they read that and they're like, oh, I'm a sinner. I'm back. I'm terrible. I can never be right with God. It's an application. We make those applications. Just to, let's make sure that we're clear and when we're teaching that. But I do agree. The concept is I am to glorify God with my body because it is the temple of God. And I need to show restraint. I need to control those fleshly appetites and those indulgences that the flesh wants, but the Spirit says no. And that, that leads into this next, the next topic here, the filling of the Spirit. When we look at the filling of the Spirit, the indwelling of the Spirit, again, something happened to us, permanent. Now the filling of the Spirit, another ministry that the Holy Spirit imparts to us is going to be a little bit different here. Uh, Ephesians 5, we, we get that passage, very familiar. And it's, it's the, the main passage when we talk about it. Don't be drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. So the command of this verse is don't get drunk, okay? It is there. Do not be drunk with wine wherein is excess. So he gives this command and he, he lays it out. The drunkenness is wrong. And so as he gives that there, he's going to use an analogy. P- Paul is. He's going to talk about the filling of the Spirit in relationship to how alcohol impacts an individual. When a person is under the influence of alcohol, they behave abnormally, different than their normal self. It's, they, some might get angry, some might get giddy, some might just do whatever, but but you, you've seen that. You're, you're aware. Everybody, anybody who reads and uh, has been around in the world or anything, they get that picture right away. Paul uses a brilliant picture to say, hey, you've seen a person who's inebriated. See how they're controlled? Well, just as alcohol changes someone's behavior, their influence, the Holy Spirit changes the behavior of someone under his influence. Paul's driving an analogy here. He's saying, just like they can be influenced, he's looking and saying, we need to be influenced by the one who dwells within us, by the, by the spirit. So one who is controlled by the spirit does not behave normally. They behave spiritually because what is our natural tendencies? Even after we're saved, we still have that, that nature, that old man within us that is fighting and warring and wants us to behave the way we used to behave. He's saying, this, that's your normal pattern, but now, being under the control of the Spirit, I am to live abnormally from the world, from my old ways, from my, my vain heritage that we talked about with Peter last week, that we have to look and say that was, now I need to live under the control by the influence and by the direction of the Spirit of God. So do I need to get more of the Spirit then? Is it, you know, being filled with the Spirit does not mean that you get more of Him. He's already within you. You already have Him. You're a Christian. You are indwelt. You are sealed. You are, you are there. He, he is present within you, so you can't get any more of Him because He's already there. But what it means is you, He gets more of you. I like the way that they phrase that there that it's me yielding, that it's me allowing the influence and the control when I feel the convicting of the Spirit, when I read God's Word and it's telling me not to or I need to change something and I'm being prompted, that I don't look and say no, but I look and say I will yield. I will allow Him to control. I will allow Him to influence me. Just like the drunk is influenced by the alcohol, I'm going to allow the Spirit... To influence me to live abnormally from this world, from abnormally differently from my fleshly impulses. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to allow the Holy Spirit to call the shots, to look in and say, okay, this is what the Spirit, through His word, through His promptings, through His convictions, this is where He's directing me to go. So being filled with the Spirit is not a one time decision but it's a series of decisions day by day to obey him, to yield, to follow. It's not some dramatic experience. It's not all of a sudden I get filled and I go into this ecstatic rage where I'm flopping around on the ground or I'm, all of a sudden I have to do this to be able to speak in tongues or something. No, that's, that's not it. That's a misuse of the doctrine of the Spirit. It is a choice by me to say, I am going to live under the influence the direction, the prompting of God who dwells within me. So we need to submit to him constantly, especially in prayer and Bible study. Why? Because let's be honest, how do we communicate with God? Through prayer. He communicates with us through his word. And we go back and forth. And that is why it is so vitally important to be dwelling in his word, because this is the word of the Spirit. This is what he uses to cleanse us. This is what he uses to, to drive us. It's not just simply so you can check off a box and say, I'm a good little Christian. I did my devotions today. I go to the devotion time. I go to the word of God because it allows me to understand God. It helps me to understand the spirit and he will help us to do that. We'll talk about next time the illuminating of the spirit that he's going to, he promises to help you understand the scriptures. To, to learn from that. We are commanded to be filled. All these other ones, it's not something to seek the indwelling. It's not, you're not commanded to be indwelt. That is something that God does to us. You're not commanded to be sealed because that is something that God does to us when we got saved. We are commanded to be filled. So now there is a responsibility. This work of the Spirit is different from the others in that we have a, a, a responsibility here. We must seek to be filled with the Spirit. Three ways to be controlled by the Spirit. They give three practical tips here. Confess and forsake your sin in life. Study and obey the Word of God. And fellowship with God each day in prayer. Now, notice in the book here, and notice, it, have it on the screen. He does something, and I, from a teaching perspective, I like it a lot. He all of a sudden he says, okay, let me give you some verses to remind you about confessing and forsaking sin in your life. And then he says, hey, why don't you go back to page 42, chapter three, and look at confession of sin and talking about that. Hey, let's talk about studying and obeying God. Hey, let's go back to chapter five and let's just review some things. Let's see what we remember from that time. What he's doing is teaching them to go back to use the book to say, hey, wait, I'm struggling with the word of God. Wait, I already read that. Let's go back and study. So there's this review process that takes place. It really is a great little spot right there because think about where you're at right now. In the last two weeks, we were going through the Holy Spirit, and you're, you're getting flooded with all this heavy doctrine. You're wrestling through this, this, this new concept of the third person of the Trinity. You're wrestling through he's a person, yet he's a spirit. You're wrestling through how he indwells us, and he seals it. And it's, it gets heavy all of a sudden. You're like, wow, sometimes you, you might need a little break. And you're like, oh, let's go back and let's review. It shows how Christ's teachings are interconnected. That as you're talking about being filled with the Spirit, well, how do we do? It? Well, let's go back and confess sin. Oh, as I confess sin, I'm I'm yielding to the Spirit. I'm confessing those things that I've done wrong, so that I'm allowing myself to line up with the Spirit. It just it's a really neat time. I like that concept of going back and forth because remember, we're not teaching people. We're teaching people. We are teaching people. We're not teaching lessons. It's not just curriculum. Teach the people. Help them to understand that. A parallel passage to. Um, to the Ephesians 5.18 being filled is Galatians chapter five. And let's, let's look at Galatians, you, you know Galatians chapter five. You might be like, no, I don't. But if I say, oh, it's the fruit of the spirit, you're like, okay, yeah, I know that. Um, he looks and in the passage, he talks about walking in the spirit. The result is that you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh as he talks about in, in Galatians uh, chapter five. I'll go over there for a second because I don't have it on the screen. Verse 16 says, "'This I say to them, walk in the Spirit, "'and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh.'" I love how he puts that. He says, if you are walking in the Spirit, the result of walking in the Spirit, the result of being filled with the Spirit, of yielding to Him, of being controlled by Him, is that you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh.'" I often look and say, okay, I got I to not fulfill the lust of the flesh, and then that'll mean I'm walking in the Spirit. God says, no, start doing the right things. Start living godly. Start looking and saying, what are the things I need to do to line up and to be yielded and controlled by the Spirit? He says, walk in the Spirit first. And so basically, Ryrie says it this way. He says, take each step of the Christian life in dependence upon the Spirit to have victory over the flesh and its works. So as I set out the day, I make a determination, Lord, through your strength, through your power, help me to live righteously today, to make the right decisions. And now I consciously work at them. And as I keep working and doing the right, the, the negative, the bad things become less and less desirable. They're still there. There's still going to be the temptations. There's still going to be the struggles because we're not perfectly holy yet, and we will not be here on earth. But he talks about walking in the Spirit. The term walk describes a consistent, a careful relationship with the Lord. So if you maintain this fellowship with the Spirit of God, he will produce his fruit uh, through you as evidence of the life that he has given. So Paul lays out in Galatians here, he says, walk, do it on a consistent daily basis. And they talk about just walking. It says, scripture often describes life as, just, as a walk. And he's, is walking exciting? Not usually. Is it heroic? No. Impressive? Not really. And then I put a caveat on mine. Obviously, they haven't seen Pastor Tony being able to walk all the way across pews in dress shoes, no problem. Sometimes it is impressive. Um, it's just, it's being very consistent. It's just, it's, it's not this miraculous thing that's out there. And someday I hope to find The filling of the Spirit. Someday I hope to find whatever it is, it's it's looking and saying, Okay, we as believers, we just need to walk. Walk in the Spirit. In other words, being controlled by Him, being directed by Him, allowing Him through His Word, through prayer, through His conviction, and then yielding ourselves to Him as we as we go through. And he highlights that then in the in the Galatians 5 passage that Fruit demonstrates that a tree is alive. Fruit demonstrates that a tree is healthy. Those of you who, who love it and you garden, and you know that. If your plants are not healthy, you're not going to get a good crop of fruit or any fruit. Okay, so spiritual fruit demonstrates that you're a Christian, you're under his control. What are the fruits of the Spirit? Verse 23, I mean, most of us can either tick them off or we have a song, you know, that we can go through, the love, joy, peace, you know, patience, kindness, gentleness, goodness, uh, faithfulness, self-control, Okay, that, that's there. It is the fruit that God produces, the Spirit produces in the lives of those who are yielded to him, to those who are walking in the Spirit. And these things come out. They are something that, um, notice the, the spirituality is demonstrated by these virtues, not miraculous signs. That's important, especially dealing with the Holy Spirit. I don't, if I can, you know, do some miraculous thing, Paul says not to be seeking after that. He says, live righteously. Do what we can do. These are things we can do, living righteously, living yielded to the Spirit. Uh, The the fruit of the Spirit is more than a list of just positive virtues. Okay? It's a description of a life that is Christ-like. And remember, they're called the fruit of the Spirit. Try as you might. You say, I'm just going to produce love in my life today. I'm going to be the most. Lord, I need your help because my natural inclination and yours as a sinner is not to show other people love. I like self-love. I like love for me. I'm selfish. So help me to produce, Lord. Help me to follow you today and to produce that unnatural emotion, that unnatural joy, that unnatural goodness toward people. I need your help because it is your fruit. Please produce that in me as I yield to you, as I walk, as I follow you. And he he talks about the flesh, the struggling. And we're going to pick up there as we, we'll we'll just leave off there because there's a lot on the, this with the Galatians 5 to keep going forward. We'll pick up there next week and we'll finish out the Holy Spirit as we uh, keep going. Thanks so much.